This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Future File, a podcast exploring the technologies changing the way we live, work, and play. So, in our new podcast, we decided we'd talk about the future of TV this week. Um, traditionally, TV has obviously been quite a passive activity. Everyone sort of sits back on the sofa, takes a deep breath, enjoys the end of the day, um, sitting back and, and enjoying that. Um, but increasingly, it's becoming much more of an interactive activity. Um, so, with sports, for example, you can press the red button and get your match statistics up on the screen. You can sort of pick different camera angles. Um, and as we're sort of going forward, companies like Netflix and the BBC are experimenting with interactive programming. So as the viewer, you're not just a passive viewer, you can now sort of choose your own storylines. Um, that's obviously starting to come in now. Uh, for the most part, people are still passively watching, but it's quite an interesting direction that TV's going. Um, and then obviously there are lots of new technologies as well coming in, like virtual reality, uh, offering more immersive experiences for the viewer. Um, so for this week's podcast, we decided we'd get a special guest in. Uh, this is uh, Craig Doyle, the face of BT's uh, hunt for new technology in its so-called Infinity Labs competition. Uh, Craig's very well qualified to talk about this, having uh, been on uh, presenter on Tomorrow's World for four years and uh, has been involved in various other future-looking programmes. So hello, Craig. Thank you very much for joining us. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank how are you. you? And with all this technology, I'm joining you from my telephone in the car. <laughs> for that. Very but, nice. Um, yes, there's still some things that keep us on a day. So um, maybe you could start by telling us a bit about this Infinity Labs competition that you're involved in and, and what that's all about. Yeah, it's it's BT when it comes to innovation and, and, and startups and technology has kind of been at the forefront of that for many, many years. Now I say that at the forefront, they've kind of, I won't say done it secretly, but it, it, up in their, their labs in, in Martlesham and Ipswich, just outside Ipswich, they've been doing this kind of thing for years. I remember when I started my, my, my uh, media career as a, as a, a journalist at uh, BBC Radio Suffolk, many, many moons ago, we heard about this place up in Martlesham where there's this big tower and BT ran it and it was like a, 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 a this secret area where all this innovation and all this stuff used to go on, you know, and uh, I finally got there uh, about two months ago and it's just a, it, it's this hive of kind of innovation. There's a load of startups there that BT back mm. and um, using the technology for BT products or just for them supporting them. So they've been doing this kind of thing for years. Um, I guess the last couple of years they're just trying to get more people involved in this and opening the doors a little bit more and that's what that's what this is all about and saying to the to, to, to the public you know if you've got an idea and you think it'll work on sport let's hear about it because everybody has good ideas people watching sport have brilliant ideas and they can't get access to a channel like ours often to try and get them made or implemented so we're kind of saying well come on give it a go yeah because um, so the viewers are the experts let's Let's never forget that. We know, you know, I cover MotoGP, I cover rugby, I know everything about rugby, but I don't know what that viewer is really thinking at home on their cell phone. They know that. So they're the pearls of wisdom here, you know, so that's what we're trying to tap into. 
Yeah. So are there particular uh, themes or categories that you're looking at in the competition, sort of particular areas of, of uh, innovation in TV technology? Well, it's obviously sports primarily um, is what we're looking for because I guess sports, when it comes to television, it's the biggest conversation in television, isn't it? It's the biggest debate in television. Um, you know, and more and more people are watching Netflix and they're watching all these things uh, in their own time. Sports is still a point of view. You still know that it's a three o'clock kickoff in football or rugby. People are going to be sitting in front of their televisions there, you know. So it's, and that's where the conversation starts. Did the referee make a good decision? Did he make a bad decision? Why was that scrum awarded? Why is he given a penalty there? You know, it's a constant conversation in sport. And I guess instead of it just being our team of experts having the conversation on television, the ultimate goal, the holy grail of sports television, to get the public, get the viewers involved in that conversation. So, Craig, do you see do you see do you see sport then as being sort of like a, a guinea pig, a test bed for the for for technologies that could then bleed through into other forms of programming? This kind of the, the sort of interaction that you're talking about. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it depends what kind of program it is, but sport, I think, is the most obvious one where inter- interaction is kind of uh, is healthy and positive. You know. Um, it can work in news as well. We're already seeing that in news. I mean, how much news have you seen over the past couple of years that most of the footage comes from people's mobile phones? So it's kind of already happening. But mm. I guess, you know, what you want to do is maybe try and get that organized a bit better. You know what I mean? And using technology to organize it a bit better. Uh, I, I, I'm a mild plug here, but I am involved in a company called Fan Footage, which is basically people using their mobile phones to, to film stuff, mainly in the music industry. But, uh, uh, and what we say to people is it's happening anyway, but we've got to find ways to give you a bit more control over what's happening and a bit more editorial control. So, so, so that anything along those, that kind of line, you know, uh, the, you know, the public are the, are the world's biggest camera crew, let's be honest. So let's, let's use them and let's harness them. So this is kind of the natural follow-on from the old dial-in, dial-in to you know talk on a radio show or to uh, send in send in your photos over Twitter or Facebook. It's kind of the next stage on from that you're talking about. I think it is. It's it's always happened, isn't it? People have always wanted to be involved, and uh, I think that you know my kids would be more prone to maybe skyping or snapchatting or instagramming something than picking up on phone and ringing someone now you know i don't think kids actually ring each other anymore they they use all these other these other apps and these other social media outlets so we kind of have to react to that so it's interesting like the likes of 606 on five live is still a brilliant i i, I still love it. people ringing in all the time and that's great mm. that that still exists in that space but we kind of have to move on as well uh, and I, I noticed the age group, I, I, maybe it's just me, but I've noticed the age group of the people who ring in 606 now seem to be a lot older. Younger people just aren't really attracted to that as much anymore. So so we got to embrace their, their minds and their way of going about their business. And technology is the way to do that, right? Yeah, I suppose we're now in, a, in, a, in an, era, an era where everybody's got a screen. So everyone's got access to the footage they want to watch. And what you're saying about having the conversations with the viewer those conversations, they're already having it with each other. You know, people are Snapchatting each other or instant messaging people about the referee's decision or, or the state of the pitch or whatever it might be. So those interactions are already happening. And it's just what the what are, the TV companies, are you a better place than I am, to, to, are trying to get to is to try and make that a part of the process for, for, for them as well. Would that, would that be fair? Yeah. And, you know, I guess one of the main reasons 
I'm not giving away any secrets here. One of the main reasons for that is if you've got your television on in the corner and you're watching, you know, a rugby match, you're watching Leicester Tigers play, you know, Northampton Saints, but then you're looking down at your phone and uh, you're engaging with someone else, you're coming off that screen, you're losing that person. And how often do you check something out on your mobile phone? And that takes, because it's so layered, isn't it? Social media. Mm. And you go to another place, another place, another place. And next thing, what's happening in the corner in that match kind of disappears. So, well, people want that. That's the conversation they want to have during the game. So what we have to learn is how do we make that conversation as part of the live sport? We're not going to stop that. That's happening anyway. We need to engage with it. It's, it's, it's something we have to learn. Um, the public are telling us what to do. They're telling us, this is the way we behave. You react to it. So I guess that's our challenge, um, is being able to do that. Uh, again, this is another shameless plug, but it's a fact. A company I work with called Actionista I advise on, on this, is one of the things we're working on is trying to engage uh, with the game, get, allow the public to engage with the game while it's on. So if a decision's made, they can click on something at the bottom of the screen and pull down why that is so, and then there can be a referee's explanation in the sub-video and another sub-video showing examples of us, because that's the way people want to behave uh, now when they're watching sports. So I think sports actually a really good example of how mm. how we have to move along, don't you? because it's ever-changing and it's live. Yeah, I mean, sports in a way quite unique in that way. Um, I'm just thinking of, you know, the way that people watch TV dramas, for example, now, people tend to do it in their own time, fit it into their own schedules. The whole thing of everyone settling down at six o'clock on a Friday night to watch the same programme and then, you know, take part in a communal conversation is, is maybe over. But sport maybe is, is more unique in the fact that people want to watch a match as it's happening. So that kind of communal conversation is probably a bit more uh, relevant. I think, I think you're absolutely right. And we see this box in the corner of the, of the room, uh, this television, and we presume everything evokes the same kind of reaction and response and activity, but it doesn't because if you watch a drama, as you rightly said, it's escapism, isn't it? You're losing yourself in that. Actually, it's an opportunity to turn your phone off for an hour and just <laughs> lose yourself in that moment. Um, and, and, and that is very, very different to live sport, our live news, our live chat show, actually. It's interesting. There's a big chat show here in Ireland called The Late Late Show. It's been running for, gosh, about 40 years now. And I would say it gets the most uh, Twitter activity than any other show in Ireland throughout the course of the week. And some people are ripping it apart and some are complimenting it and every interview engages with different people. But it's, uh, it, it's, it's such a key part of the activity around the show. But the show doesn't even doff its cap to it. doesn't even acknowledge <laughs> this is happening. This amazing conversation that is often far more interesting than the interviews. And it's not even acknowledging this, which I find absolutely insane. And, you know, one thing I love about, about BT, it being this new entity, we have no rules. We never had any rules. We set our own rules. And the rules we set were the rules set by the audience. They want to do that? Well, we have to do that. Our hands aren't tied. And I guess over here in OTE, their hands are tied to the tradition of this show. They can't just engage that quickly. Whereas at BT, we, we kind of can. And it's amazing how quickly it's become a part of our, uh, our, of our editorial um, base using Twitter, videos, or just Facebook Live. Um, it's now the way we operate. Yeah. It's an interesting thing, though. How, how much should the interaction of the audience end up influencing the content of the show? 
I mean, I guess it's it's true across all media, but it used to be the case that as the media creator, you were telling the audience what to think and what to view and what to feel, whereas increasingly it seems that broadcasters are having to react to, to what the audience wants and what, you know, the, what they're demanding. And in some cases, I know this is probably more the case in the States than here, but they'll actually sort of change the plot line of, of you know, sitcoms or stories you know in response to certain characters and things i mean do you think do you think there's a, a line there that shouldn't be crossed eventually well I, I can tell you cinema and certainly out of hollywood have been doing that for years they'll shoot two or three yeah. different endings they'll do the early previews see how the box office goes and often change the endings to suit the market and to suit suit uh, ticket sales so yeah that that is something that's been happening for a long time and and i don't agree with that because you know, the beauty about creativity, isn't it, that it's not its not going to suit everybody. And some people are going to hate it, and some people are going to like it, and sometimes it will be in a minority who like it, but if you're going to express yourself freely, that's the risk you take. Um, I guess uh, the only way I can relate to that in terms of what we do is I'm shock horror, and I'm going to get into trouble for saying this out loud, I'm not on Twitter. Because I found <laughs> oh. when I was doing matches, well, no, I know, it's a, but I am on other forms of social media. But I tell you what, I found that when I was on Twitter in the early days of BT Sport, if I was covering a game and I said, well, that was really poor. Why did they do that? That's awful. And then I'd check my Twitter at halftime and the fans of that club would be absolutely hammering me. And even if it was only subconsciously, I was changing my, I was changing my editorial a little bit. I was reacting to them. I was going, oh, God, I didn't mean to upset them. So I'd, I'd spend the second half looking for positives at the other team, whereas I need to be in my job, outdoor all up under, completely independent, yeah. completely independent, yeah. and not reacting. You know, you've got to stand by your beliefs. So, so that is a that is a difficult one. And these are these are the issues. These are this is a new world for all of us here. We don't, you know, you're not you're not trained when you go and do your journalism degrees. You don't teach you how to do this stuff, and yeah. it's something we're having to learn and react to. Yeah, of course. Present that's something. Yeah, so that must be very. That's a big, you know, used to do tomorrow's world, which is I suppose uh, before Twitter came along, and now you're you're having to react to that personally. So, uh, do you find that it's sort of exciting the way that TV is going? Are you are you really positive about it, or do you think there are some things that could be reined back? Um, I worry about people constantly speaking, and I'm just picking up on your point, actually, Sophie, people constantly seeking the most populist type of programming. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, sometimes a BBC Two show or a Channel Four show uh, might only get, you know, a couple of hundred thousand viewers, whereas they could stick something else in there or repeat of some, you know, sitcom and it'll get a couple of million. But actually, that's okay. Sometimes you have to break new ground. Sometimes you have to serve a minority, particularly in the arts. And I, I worry that we're, we're always chasing big numbers all the time, always chasing big numbers. And in sport, I worry about that sometimes. That Okay, so if you show a round of the, uh, the International Triathlon Championships, it's not going to get the same numbers as Man City against Chelsea. But that doesn't mean that that 100,000, 50,000 are less important than the 2.5 million that watch the football. So, you know, but that's always been the case with TV, isn't it? We've always been racing ratings driven but I guess the response is almost more immediate now because social media tells us whether it's popular or not you know so that is maybe one of the dangers but you know um, thankfully I work in a sport that loads of people watch so I don't have to worry about it at the moment you know but uh, yeah yeah, I mean that is a concern 
I guess the other interesting aspect to this discussion about the future of TV, obviously the interactive interactive aspect of it is really interesting but um also the way that people are watching tv is is changing quite a lot i mean we even you know in terms of definition we went from standard to hd to 4k pretty quickly 4k is now sort of seen as the 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 norm almost um and then uh, you know there was a little dalliance with uh, 3d tvs that seems to Mm. have fallen by the wayside but the next big thing that everyone's talking about is virtual reality um obviously incredibly immersive experience and again sort of being able to control uh your own experience of of watching a program or a game or anything really um but i mean i suppose if you're in a virtual reality world it's going to be a lot harder to to be interactive at the same time. I mean, how do you think how do you think uh, virtual reality is going to affect um, sports viewing, for example? Well, I, actually, I'll pair that back a little bit more, if you don't mind. Um, oh. and, uh, forget forget interacting kind of uh, on social media. One of the great joys of sport. One of the great joys of sport. Last night, I watched uh, my my son is my ten year old Chelsea fan. I'm a Man United. So we watched that game together. And, uh, you know, we started sitting beside each other on the sofa and then we moved farther apart as Chelsea scored. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we were throwing cushions <laughs> at each other. And then my wife says, what's going on here? And the kid, and next thing, all of us are sitting watching the last, pretty excited last ten of that game. Um, now, if we all had virtual reality headsets on, we'd all be in our own little bubbles and losing a huge part of what sport's all about. Sport is entertainment, but it also evokes emotion. That's the beauty of sport. That's why I love it. That's why all my family love it. That's why my dad, my grandpa, that's why we all love sport. Because it, you can go a little bit tribal, and you get emotional, and you shout and scream, and, and you have fun, <laughs> you know. So, so you know, I, virtual reality is a very personal, a very personal experience. You're closing yeah. off the world around you. You're entering a virtual one. Um, there is definitely a place for it in sport, no doubt about it. I mean, some of the stuff that BP is doing, when you can click on different cameras around the stadium, you can do player cam, is absolutely brilliant. Mm. Time and place, like all these things, time and place. But there's a communal I, thing to sport. Yeah, I mean, I, I for one, to, to go a sort of a different route, would love to. I, I can't wait for the day when, uh, let's say, I can sit at home on, in my lounge and I can pull on a VR headset and I can be there in the front row watching the Leicester Tigers play or, or Liverpool Football Club or whoever it is uh, and, and and have that experience of being able to look around the stadium, see what's happening maybe off the ball, um, see the other fans uh, and all that. Um, and I, I, I totally get what you're saying about it being a communal aspect and you want to watch it with people, but the reality may be for some people that they, for whatever reason, they can't get to where the game is being played if they're watching from another country or a continent or something like that. Uh, so there's there's that side that I really look forward to. Um, do you think that will happen in, in any point soon? Do you think we'll get to that? I think we're very close to it. I was testing it out recently up in Marcusham, actually, and up in the BT Labs and... We're kind of we're almost there, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's happening. <laughs> it's not really stop. My kids want it. My kids want everything in virtual reality. That's what yeah. they want. So yes, it is. It is going to happen, and, uh, and it kind of doesn't matter what little boys like me want, does it? If the kids want it, <laughs> um, it's it, it's going to happen, you know. And that's what they want for Christmas. They want VR headsets, and uh, we already got the kind of you know the smaller ones you put your mobile phone in. And hey, look, it's fun. It is. It's absolutely fun. Don't get me wrong. I think. Great fun, and there's an absolute time for it. But there's a purity in watching sports together. There's a in watching dramas together, thrillers where you're all hiding behind cushions. That I'd hate, I'd hate that to 
everyone to lose that experience, that, that joint communal experience. So I think it's a bit of, um, I think we got to find a, it's not even the middle ground, is it? Because either you watch it with the family or you watch it with the headset on, but maybe it's mm-hmm. time and a place. Maybe you watch the odd match on your own and you watch the big finals with your, with your friends but, uh, and your family. But um, I, I, I think it's kind of unstoppable, isn't it? You know, the appetite, you know, I have four children and their appetite for technology is absolutely incredible. Um, they embrace it without question. Uh, they uh, absolutely get involved with it. They make it part of their, their downtime and they don't question it one small bit, um, which is phenomenal and terrifying in equal measure. Because, <laughs> you know, Even um, they must recognise the, um, the, the attraction of the social side of it, though, as you say. I mean, in a way, it's the same. <clears throat> virtual reality has the same problem that 3D TVs had, which is that you have to be the person there wearing the glasses if you just sort of walk into the room and uh, want to know what's going on, you're completely out of it because you're not, you're not part of that experience. I mean, even, even kids must kind of recognise that aspect of it. <clears throat> yeah, we, I, I, I did a job uh, two years ago when the 3D TVs came out and my payment was a 3D TV. I really should have got the money because it just didn't work in our house. <laughs> it just, I didn't, I didn't like it. I felt sick um, watching it um, and I just, the glasses on my head when I'm relaxing and, and just the whole thing just bothered me. And I, I don't go to 3D cinema. I don't like 3D cinema. Um, I think I'm a bit of an old fart here. I'm guessing that. I can hear myself say these things out loud. But people like me do exist, you know. Um, did my kids, uh, did they like the 3D TV? They were not bothered by it at all. At all. No. Um, but virtual reality headsets, they love. Yeah. So maybe... 3D TV just wasn't very good, and headsets <laughs> are good, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, kids, kids poor technology sense. as well. Um, so, apart from virtual reality, are there any other sort of future technologies that you've kind of come across either through the competition or uh, just generally in life um, that you kind of think are going to end up having quite a big impact on the way people watch TV? You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back like 15 years ago. Uh, tomorrow's mm-hmm. world and we did a story I did a story in over in the States where I sat and watched I had to watch some kids show and I had a cursor in my hand and I was able to click on um, I was able to click on the shoes and the jackets and the whatever that the people in I was able to pause the picture and then click on the things they're wearing and yeah. it would come up where I could buy it and I, I, the, the plan was in the future to kind of be able to buy this stuff online and uh, you know, they'd be on a bike and I go, oh, that's a nice bike and I pause it and you could, the plan was and, you know, they said within five years we'll be doing our shopping <laughs> while it's watching our program. That actually hasn't happened, has it? No. It hasn't really Wait. happened. I, why not? <laughs> you know, yeah. I, 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 I'm, kind of, I'm kind of surprised that, you know, when you're watching a Champions League game on BT Sport and you see Ronaldo's boots, you can't click on them and buy yourself a pair. Um yeah. I'm, I'm really surprised advertisers have. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, part of me is kind of glad that that hasn't happened because that does that inevitably end up changing the editorial, the pictorial editorial of, of a match. Do you find the advertisers, do you, you know, the, the Nike start going, well, you better get more shots of those boots because we want to sell a few tonight. You know, so maybe, maybe it's a good thing it hasn't taken off, but I'm kind of surprised that hasn't, that hasn't going to happen. I think, for, for for me, from what I've seen, everything is about um, 
giving the fans more information, explaining the game a little bit more, and hearing their views. I still think that is is the core of everything we're trying to do. You know, getting that right seems to be the kind of most important thing still. You know, um, which is quite it, it's, uh, it's quite a relief, honest. really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's you know, it's it's weird. It's so when we started off at BT, we have the biggest. It was then, I think, the biggest live TV studio in Europe, 14,500 square foot. Fantastic technology everywhere. And that was our identity. What's, what's been really interesting over the last year and a half, two years, is that we now, we rarely do rugby matches in the studio. We are still better as a team when we're on the pitch, with the play happening behind us, with players warming up behind us, with all that activity, with the fans cheering. We're still better in that environment and working technology within that environment rather than being a, a tech being in a tech high environment and trying to bring the atmosphere into that. It's yeah. It, and I'm really pleased with that because that's the way it kind of should be. Um we still have to embrace this technology and actually work it a little bit better and in different ways than we probably expected. But we still need to be on the ground. Um and I love that because as techy as we're gonna go I still think people want a sense of, of atmosphere, certainly in sport and in stadiums, and they still like that. It's still about humans talking to other humans. I'd, I'd be really interested. Um, no, I'd be really interested Kate, to get your take on how what you're talking about seems to me that the, the quality shines through. If you can be there and capture the atmosphere and give the viewers that that sort of an experience, they're going to come back and they're going to choose to spend their time with you. Now, I'm really, I'm really interested to get your thoughts on the fact that we have this sort of content explosion from uh, on-demand apps to YouTube to Facebook videos to there is so much uh, available now demanding people's time. Um, and what you, what you seem to be saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is that if you can really kind of harness the technology pair that with the kind of quality experience that you were just talking about and you're going to keep the viewers now is that would that be a fair thing to say would that be something the broadcasters are looking to retain as we kind of move into this world of on-demand content at all times coming through on screens that are either 55 inches or six inches you know what 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 do you think about that just the the sheer amount of, of stuff that's available to watch now so you're talking about our, our, do you think our broadcast is still entirely focused on the number of people watching a screen in the corner at that one time? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's still a fixation with it. Our Champions League, the Champions League final last year, well, I think was the first time where I heard um, the actual television in the corner figures and the social media people watching on other devices figures, figures celebrated uh, in the same way, because I think millions watched on, on phones and iPads and all that kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah, they're slightly beginning to move. I think there's a realization that, you know, and, and actually that this whole business of, of TV figures is, is going to have to go out the window pretty soon anyway, because it's mm. just not, it's not real. It's just not real. <laughs> um, what, is, what, what is real in sport is that kickoff is at three o'clock and in rugby it's 40 minutes at three o'clock and there's a 10 minute break and they'll go again for another 40 minutes. So, mm. so, you know, people and people want to watch sport live because with social media, you know, you're going to find it. You can't hide the score. Do you remember in the old BBC days? I think they still do it. They go um, in, at the end of the news on the Saturday night, they go, OK, we're about to give the football score. So you might want to uh, lower your sound for the next two minutes. 
<laughs> and uh, if you're going to watch Match of the Day tonight, Match of the Day is on at 25 past 10, and this is at like half five. There's simply no way you can get through a half an hour on a Saturday evening without finding out football scores if you have a phone in your hand. I mean, there's no, there's just no <laughs> no. way, you know. It's a good incentive to keep so, watching it live. <laughs> Say that again, sorry? It's a good incentive then to keep watching it live. <laughs> Well, that's it. So you still kind of, people are still going to watch live. What's really interesting from our perspective of what we do, we've always put a lot of stock traditionally in sport. You put a lot of stock into your one-hour build-up, your half-hour build-up. And uh, I think people do tend to just tune in for the games now. So when we start to, when we do our analysis now, we tend to do our pre-match or post-match, but certainly pre-match analysis. So it can be broken into chunks. So if we do some kind of demo on uh, Scrum Law, we make sure that's top and tailed and is fit for three minutes to be pushed out in social media. So content, although it's seen as a half-hour build-up, is also seen often as a series of pieces that can work independently out on, uh, out on, the, out on social media, be it on Insta or Twitter or whatever it might be. So that is definitely what we're definitely changing on that front editorially. And, and that's quite a good thing because people want... I think if it's not a live sport, people do want things in little chunks. I don't know if people will sit down and watch. I'd be interested to see things like, you know, FA Cup final day used to, used to start at about a, a live and kicking would have an FA Cup theme on the final day. That would start at half nine in the morning. And then the road to Wembley would start at 12 o'clock and you'd get kick off at three. And people used to sit in front of their TVs all day in the build-up to one football match. They won't do that anymore. They'll get on the phone and they'll pick up three minutes here and two minutes here. And, and, and you know, that, that's kind of been a bit of a challenge for us. But actually, it's not, it hasn't been difficult. That's, that's been okay. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Does that make sense? Have I been talking absolutely not? No, absolutely not. That's <laughs> fantastic. Thank you. I think that's probably a, a good place to leave it, actually. Maybe before we go, you could just uh, tell us if anyone's interested in the competition and how to enter. You could just uh, give the details of that. So, yeah, look, Monday the 13th of November is the closing date. Um, right. And uh, there will be an esteemed panel and then myself sitting at the end of it looking at all <laughs> these entries. And, uh, look, if you win this thing, you're off to a really good start because you can, you're going to get up and running. And also you're going to be mentored by BT, by the lads as well, which is brilliant. So you go to www.btplc.com forward slash BT Infinity Lab. And Monday the 13th of November is when it all wraps up so get involved fantastic well thank you so much for joining us Craig it's really great to have you on and um, really interesting yeah. discussion thanks for listening to the latest episode of Future File don't forget to subscribe on Audio Boom or iTunes to be notified about upcoming episodes please leave a review as long as it's a nice one and let us know if you have suggestions about future topics you'd like to hear about you can also visit mirror.co.uk slash tech for all the latest gadget and gaming news